Sounders, keep your shades anchored and where they belong during life's greatest feats. Head to soundergoods.com and use promo code KTTC to get 10% off and free shipping with any order. You're listening to the Keef to the City podcast. Here's Neil Keefe. All right, it's been nearly a week since the Rangers 2014-15 season ended with a home game seven loss to the Lightning, that devastating 2-0 loss, a repeat performance from what we saw in game five from the Rangers at home and a disappointing, devastating way to finish the season. And uh, on Wednesday night, the Stanley Cup final started without the Rangers, uh, the Blackhawks getting a win over the Lightning. And hopefully the Blackhawks will be able to put the Lightning away rather quickly here and uh, make us forget about what happened in game seven at the Garden. And here to wrap up the season and look back at at a disappointing end to what could have been a, 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 another memorable run to the Stanley Cup final is Brian Mons of WFAN, producer for Mike Zahn, Francesa on the fan on WFAN and Fox Sports 1. Monzo, how's it going today? What's going on? <laughs> I know you said that you won't watch any of the Stanley Cup final. You might catch a few seconds or a few minutes here and there. Um, you know, Maybe you'll tune in if it's in like triple overtime or something, but... Is it weird to have the finality of hockey season hit you so hard and so quickly after, you know, 100-plus games of a regular season and playoffs? Uh, it is weird. You know, I uh, I feel like, uh, especially this season, because I, I, obviously I'm into every season, but with the tremendous run the Rangers had, uh, you really got yourself involved. Uh, you locked yourselves into all these uh, really good playoff games. And i got to be honest, uh, when the game ended Friday and they lost 2 nothing, and the season ended and they shook hands with the Lightning, it wasn't so much uh, disappointment. It was more of, did this really just happen? And uh, when you realize it does, you almost need a mental break from it. So I was not lying. I didn't watch a second of the game last night. Uh, I saw the score. I watched the highlights, but uh, I couldn't get myself to sit in front of a TV and dedicate three hours uh, to a hockey game after doing it for so long, and, uh, you know, I needed a break. So maybe I'll catch some of the rest, some of the other games. I was glad Chicago won, especially in the fashion they did, uh, proving once again that Tampa's not that good. But, uh, no, it's, uh, it was disappointing. Uh, it was a great season, obviously a lot of good things, but uh, the big goal is to win the Stanley Cup, and they were five wins short. Well, uh, you look back at, at Game 7 and entering that game, I said I was a 7 out of 10 confident in the Rangers winning that game after being a 9 out of 10 against the Capitals Game 7, and uh, it turned out to be untrue. And the, and the one thing I, I said I was worried about um, was the idea that this Rangers team, you thought you knew who they were for the entire regular season and then in the first round against the Penguins, but especially against Washington and then Tampa Bay as they got deeper in the playoffs, they would turn in inconsistent efforts. And my biggest concern was that we might see in Game 7 what we saw in Game 5, which at the time seemed ridiculous because of how convincing and dominant their Game 6 win was on the road. I thought, you know, maybe Game five's an anomaly. It was just a bad night um, in a big spot and to not make much of it. But then in Game 7, we got just as bad, just as embarrassing of an effort from the Rangers. Um, really no high-quality scoring chances. Um, there wasn't a time when you thought, okay, they, they get back in the game, and it seemed like, you know, what I said about Game 5 was that game could have gone on for four five more hours and the Rangers still wouldn't have scored, and I felt the same way in Game 7. I'm guessing, uh, you know, we haven't talked much lately, but I'm guessing you were in the building for both of those games. You know, what 
what was the issue? I mean, how do you go scoreless and get shut out in two chances to you know take uh, control of the series in Game Five and then win the series in Game Seven, especially if someone of caliber of of Ben Bishop in that? Well, I I did not go to Game Five. I was at Game Seven. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly I, I thought in Game Five uh, they were very good for a period and a half, and been very good in the third. Uh, as far as skating and controlling the momentum of the game. They had those couple power plays in the second, didn't convert. And then uh, Stamkos uh, fed the pass to, uh, I don't remember who it was, uh, uh, Valtteri Filippola, and they took the one nothing lead, and that was the end of the game. I, as soon as they scored in game five to make it one nothing, I was like, this game's over. Uh, there's The Rangers aren't creating enough despite controlling the game uh, to get one, so I, I, I actually did not feel good about that game. I thought that was one of those classic games where, uh, the Rangers played better for about 75% of the game and still find a way to lose. And then Game 7, um, I was pretty confident after the first period that the Rangers were, were in a good position because they were physical. They came out and played physical, which I think was the key for them in this series, which they didn't do every game. But they came out, the, the Kreider was taking the body, Haglin was taking the body, uh, you know, um, you know, and then once you know, once they had those couple that the bogus power, you know, uh, Nash got hooked, and there was a penalty call that shouldn't have been. It was a, a kind of a benefit for the Rangers; they could do nothing. Then the too many men on the ice penalty, which I give a lot of credit to Wonquist for because he saw them changing uh, the Lightning, changing players, and he threw the puck into that area, which was a, a pretty smart move. We don't see that often, uh, creating the too many men. And again, the Rangers don't do anything. And, uh, you know, as soon as they, you know, Lokos makes a couple tremendous saves in the second period, uh, especially one on Tyler Johnson, and then gives up uh, a little bit of a fluky goal in the third, and they just couldn't get anything going. I mean, I think what the big problem was, was they stopped, you know, to beat a team like Tampa, to slow them down, which they did in Tampa, especially in game uh, six and game uh, four, is they were extremely physical. Anytime somebody in Tampa touched the puck, or, or just past the puck, they, they rocked them a little bit. And they didn't do that in Game 7 after the second period, and I firmly believe that that's the reason they lost the game, because there was no intimidation factor, there was no urgency on Tampa to move the puck or, or, or you know make a bad pass that would create a turnover, because they weren't getting bodies on them. And uh, it was disappointing to see. Uh, I don't know what changed the mentality and why they, they weren't doing them. Maybe they were just frustrated by Tampa's offensive ways, but uh, definitely disappointing, and... Uh, and I'm sorry for this long-winded answer. <laughs> well, you look at the Game 7, and I mean, to, to be scoreless after two periods, to have the only two power play chances of the game, um, and, and they didn't even take a penalty in Game 7, and, you know, either that was because they were so disciplined or that's the NHL trying to make sure they got a, a Rangers-Blackhawks final. But with that chance, you know, they, they get the hooking call against Morrow, then Callahan takes the too many men on the ice penalty, and it, it would have been a, amazing to have scored on that opportunity because, like you said, as the game sort of was scoreless or 0-0, and as it dragged on, you like the Rangers' chances because of Lundqvist, and the longer it could go 0-0, the better chances they had. And to, to have scored the power play goal on the Callahan, you know, serving the too many men on the ice penalty, um, you know, it just would have been glorious and now to have him in this situation with Boyle and with Strawman where they could win the Stanley Cup with the Lightning a year after being on the Rangers a year plus after Callahan was traded uh it's pretty much a nightmare situation I think there's you know nothing worse than than you know seeing those guys possibly a couple weeks from now raising the cup with the, with the Lightning no I, I understand the mentality I don't view it like that I mean honestly once the guys 
off the team, uh, you know, any team that I root for, I instantly forget about the guy. You know, so it's it's I that's been a little bit of a storyline. I understand that people have that emotional attachment to those players, but you know, I I don't want to say I forgot because it was so obvious that these guys were part of the opposing team. But you know, once the game started, um, you know, it did. I didn't even dawn on me that that Strawman, Callahan, and Boyle were uh, were on the Lightning. I mean, it just you know, Brett Richards is also on the 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 Blackhawks, and Michael Rosenbaum technically is. You know, it doesn't bother me. You know, Richard's the guy out of all five of those guys. Uh, Richard's the one guy I feel good about, um, you know, possibly winning a Stanley Cup here with Chicago. But uh, it, it makes for, for headlines. It makes for good stories. But, uh, you know, it doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm not happy for them. I won't be, you know, I won't be happy for them if they win. And I won't be, you know, enjoying uh, the fact that they lost the Stanley Cup. I'm kind of impartial in that situation. When I look at this Rangers team coming off a Stanley Cup final run that was unexpected and, uh, you know, it was just about – it was really fun and enjoyable last year at this time because hey, when they were down through one of the Penguins, we talked. You said, you know, there's a better chance of you getting a day with Kate Upton and them coming back. And they come back, then they beat the Canadians in six games, which was a series that nobody really gave the Rangers a chance in entering that series, especially playing the first two games of that series in Montreal where they haven't been able to win in what seems like forever. Um, and then they lose in the final. And, and I wasn't even disappointed after that. I thought that, you know, it was a great run. It was a great playoff run uh, two years after losing in the Eastern Conference Final. And it seemed like the team was finally headed in the right direction for at least, uh, you know, a few years here. And then to win the President's Trophy. And and this season, you know, became more about business and getting back to the final and winning it because you just can't keep getting back there and losing. And now to not even get there this year after winning the President's Trophy, uh, it's I don't want to consider the season a failure, but it is disappointing because they put themselves in a situation where, you know, one game, winner goes home, and it's at MSG, and just to be in that situation and lose, I mean, it's just, it is devastating. I I still think, you know, the season was a success because, you know, they were the number one team overall a year after playing longer than anyone else except for the Kings, Um, but to lose in the way they did, I think that's what hurts the most. It's not like they got swept by the Lightning and were just manhandled. They had the opportunity there, and they just didn't seize it. No, you're right. I mean, think about it. I mean, it's a weird way to think about it, but this team is eight wins away from back-to-back Stanley Cups, and, and that's that's a really cool thing. I mean, if you're, I mean, unless you're obviously a fan, but I mean, it's a cool thing for them to say we're close, we're getting there. You know, there's a hump that we're hitting that we got to figure out a way to get over. Um, but no, absolutely. I mean, look, there's good and bad to it. I mean, the good is that they're right there. Uh, they're a competing team. They're one of the best teams in the league. Uh, you know, they're, they're as close as you could possibly be without actually winning. The next step is winning. And I don't know what changes you make. I don't know what changes you don't make. I don't know who should go, if, any, if anybody should go. I mean, uh, you're not going to fire the coach. The coaching staff has been, you know, all you can ask for. They've made the Rangers a, a top team in the league after some years of bouncing around, uh, you know, being pretty good but not great or, you know, making a run to the conference final and losing, you know, they're right now one of the, uh, you know, dominant teams in the league, you know, but they have to now get a win a Stanley Cup. Uh, it's that time, you know. You, you've done it twice in a row, three of the last four years. You got to the conference final. You got to the Stanley Cup final last year. You're a period away from it this year. It's time to get to the Stanley Cup final and win the thing. Well, the uh, 
I talked about how last year, you know, I wasn't really sad or devastated after they lost to the Kings. Uh, but the more I thought about it as the offseason went on, you know, you only get so many chances to be put in this spot where, you know, you're healthy enough to get to the final. You're healthy enough to get to the conference final. You're healthy enough to get to a game seven at home. Um, and, and things bounced the right way. You know, they needed bounces to go their way in the first round against the Penguins. They needed them to go their way against in the second round when they're trailing three to one against the Capitals when their season could have ended in game five before they saved it, you know, with a minute 41 left. Uh, and, and just the thing in the future, I mean, in an 82-game regular season, you know, the, the, the physical play of an NHL season, the length of an NHL season, there's so many opportunities for things to go wrong or to ruin a season. And I think that's what scares me the most is that they're at this point now where they've built a team that is capable of winning the Stanley Cup. But in the future, you know, you don't know that you'll get back here. I mean, something devastating could happen to this team in October next year and they don't even reach the playoffs. So I feel like that's the thing that worries me the most is you don't keep getting these chances year in and year out. And so far, they failed to do anything with them. No, uh, look. Yeah, that's a good point you make. Um, the one argument I can make against that is, for the most part, this team is young. And if you think about it, they suffered an injury to Henrik Lundqvist, their best player, during the season. He missed, you know, 30-plus games, and they were still the best team in the league. So they're a solid enough franchise and a solid enough built team you know, that, that they could withstand something devastating, uh, obviously depending on the level of it, uh, you know, that happens. And, you know, now it's not so much what they have to do to get back. It's what they, I mean, what they, what's going to stop them from getting back. It's more about what they have to do to not only get back, but get back and win. Um, and that's the, that's the toughest thing for a GM or and a coach and, you know, for these players. Because obviously one or two of these players is not going to be on the team next year. Obviously the logical answer is Mark Dan St. Louis. Another one might be, uh, James Shepard, who's a free agent, who I would actually consider playing back. And uh, if I had one knock at Elaine Vigneault in Game 7, it's I understand he got to dress Matt Hunwick uh, because of the Ryan McDonough uncertainty and obviously Girardi with the injury and you're hearing about stall with the injury. Uh, if you're going to have to make a scratch to the forwards, I have no idea why you scratch James Shepard over Tanner Glass. That absolutely makes no sense to me whatsoever. Shepard had a really solid playoff. Uh, he scored a goal in Game 6. It was physical. He could win faceoffs. Look, I don't think that made a difference to winning the game. It was just a very questionable decision, in my, in my opinion. Well, you talked about how this team is close, and now you talk about or allude to some of the moves that we could see in the offseason, and that's the thing is everyone seems to be voicing their opinion on what needs to be done, uh, you know, who needs to be resigned, who needs to try to be traded, um, you know, what exactly this team needs to do, and to me, this team is built to win right now. I think they're capable of winning. I don't think they need to make any moves. I mean, you look at they're one win away at home from returning to the Stanley Cup final, and they're playing with you know their captain and, and all around best defenseman playing with a broken foot. Um, every defenseman at least you know had some sort of a significant injury. They're without Matt Zuccarello for the last two rounds of the playoffs because of his brain injury. Um, I mean, if, if you put you know if you give me at least a, a 50% healthier defense and you put Zuccarello in the lineup. I like their chances to, you know, win one of those four losses against Tampa Bay. So I feel like they don't really need to make moves. And whenever you don't win, people think that things need to be tinker, tinkered with or altered with or the team needs to be changed in some aspect. But to get to the final last year with pretty much the same team, to get back there this year after, you know, losing Boyle and Strawman and adding Boyle 
and trading for Yandel. I feel like this team can win, and, and to, to make rational or irrational decisions just because of you know one two nothing loss in a game seven situation, I, I don't think that needs to happen. And I think you know if they keep this team together, or at least everything except for you know maybe something happens with St. Louis and maybe a kid gets a chance in his spot. But uh, the rest of the team seems fine to me, and I'd like their chances if they return with the same group next year. No, I agree with you, man. I I I think Tim Lee is. Uh, I'd be shocked if he's back. Um, and look, he's had a phenomenal career, and I think he was a good Ranger for his two years. Um, you know, I will not ever say it's a bad word about Marty Samuelli, uh, as far as his tenure here with the Rangers, but, uh, I think it was pretty evident that unless some kind of injury, you know, he did have that knee injury late in the season, and maybe he wasn't, a, I mean, nobody's 100% healthy, but maybe he came back on a, a little bit of a fluky knee, and that's, you know, why he was so ineffective for, uh, the most part throughout the playoffs, but, uh, I think it might be time to move on and, and get that cap space and obviously have to re-sign guys like Stepan and JT Miller. And, and look, you also heard that uh, Yandel had a shoulder injury and he obviously got better as the playoffs went on. Boyle got I, – I know that a lot of people are hard on Dan Boyle, but he got hit hard twice to the head, uh, especially in the, in the Capitals series. Game one, you know, if you remember when the Capitals scored with a second left, so that play all happened because Dan Boyle got, you know, illegally checked from behind. Uh, I thought he was knocked unconscious. I was actually looking at him when the goal scored. I missed it. I missed the goal because I was looking at Dan Boyle. Um, you know, so their defense was banged up. And, and obviously, I think a lot of people understated the Zuccarello injury. I did. Uh, I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. And I think it ended up being a very big deal. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you're going to have you're going to have an open roster spot uh, on the forwards, and may, you know maybe Jesper Fast to get more ice time. Uh, maybe you can sign somebody to play uh, you know, one of your top nine forwards with a little bit of extra cap money, but uh, we'll see. I, I don't think you got to make many moves. I, I think the defense is solid. I think Kevin Klein obviously struggled in the playoffs, but he was another guy who came back from an injury, and he, he probably wasn't 100%. Um, so hopefully you get a healthy, you know, you get a healthy defense, a healthy goaltender, and uh, 12 strong forwards moving forward. And this team is right there, and, and I don't see why they won't compete first up again next year. When you look at Keith Yandel and that trade that sent to Claire uh, to Arizona and Keith Yandel to the Rangers, and now that Yandel will be an impending free agent this season, it seems like we're going to do the same you know, song and dance that they did with Zuccarello this year and with Callahan in the past, and that you know he's they're going to make him an offer. I don't know exactly what that's going to be, but given the offers and the, and the deals they've signed with Stahl and Girardi, there isn't that much wiggle room moving forward, even though the cap is going up. Uh, so what, what do you think? I mean, we're a long ways away from you know the deadline next year, but was Yandel just a rental for this season and the beginning of next, and he's you know inevitably going to get traded because of his contract situation, or you think they'll figure out a way to sort of keep him around for at least the foreseeable future? No, I think they'll I think they'll find a way to keep him around. I mean, Saber said he's been going after him for a couple of years. Uh, I don't think he wants to have him just for a year and a half. No, I do think if Yandel and his agent are, uh, I don't want to say difficult, but if they're, um, you know, they're, they're playing their own hand a little bit, you know, Saber will probably, at the round of trade deadline, pull the same thing he did with Callahan and they ended up moving Callahan. He did with Zuccarello. Uh, and everybody thought Zuccarello was going to get traded, and Zuccarello backed off his deal a little bit. You know, but I get the sense that Yandel wants to be here. Uh, you know, I thought he was good in the playoffs, uh, with the exception of the first round. Uh, um, he, you know, he is what he is. He, he, but he had a tremendous round against the Lightning. So, um, 
No, I, I think, and I think you're going to look at, you know, five and a half million dollars, three or four years. You know, he's still young. Um, he's not a minute seater. He's not a Dan Girardi or a Stoll or a McDonough who's going to play 23, 24 minutes, uh, you know, against the opposing team's top uh, players. As you can see, Yandel's very vulnerable defensively, but, you know, he does bring that uh, level of offense they don't have from a defenseman. Um, even a healthy Ryan McDonough, I don't think, can make the same kind of passes that Keith Yandel can make. So, no, I, I think you're going to see him, uh, you know, unless something dramatic happens uh, in a Rangers uniform for the next couple of years. Yeah, I feel like, you know, it seems like the most logical thing is to keep him around because they have him for the trade deadline to the playoffs this year and then just the opening night to the trade deadline this year, which would be basically a year's total plus the playoffs just seems like a, a complete waste, especially when you're losing a player of Duclair's ability. And you talked about being a minute eater and comparing or talking about minute eaters and Dan Girardi being one of those. And I feel like everyone who complains about Jardy and I'm certainly in that boat, um, always gets the rebuttal that he's a minutes eater. And to me, that sounds like when guys talk about innings eater in baseball and, you know, there's a difference between eating innings and having a 560 ERA doing so. And I feel like Girardi's would be that guy if you're comparing it to baseball. And the thing with him is, you know, he played pretty miserably in this series against the Lightning. Um, he is inconsistent for, you know, the majority of the regular season. And I know he played well um, as they came back against the Capitals. But I feel like Dan Girardi is finally being exposed as to what he truly is. And, you know, that's a guy with a bad contract who has, has always been helped off by Ryan McDonough and the two of them. And granted, McDonough had the broken foot. They were probably the worst defensive pair for the Rangers against the Lightning. And I just feel like people are starting to come around and realize that Dan Girardi isn't isn't as good as some make him out to be and certainly isn't worth his contract. No, I, I agree with you, man. I mean, there are some issues with Girardi. I mean, I think he's a 2A. I, I don't think he's a, a you know an ideal number two defenseman, but I think that pairing, um, when put together, are, are probably the best shutdown pairing in the league. I mean, if you look at Ovechkin after game three, he didn't do anything in that series. And if you look at the triplets, as they call them in Tampa, after game three, uh, they were relatively quiet as well. Um, now, a lot of that might have to do with Henrik Lundqvist. But, look, I know a lot of people have an issue with Girardi. I think you got to pay for defensemen. And I can't think of many other defensemen that have, uh, will voluntarily go down and block a shot like Dan Girardi would or take a hit like Dan Girardi would. Uh, look, is he your number one defenseman? No. Is he the reason why you're going to win a Stanley Cup? No. But, um, you know, he's going he's gonna to do what he does. Uh, he doesn't miss games. Uh, he never gets hurt. Despite, you know, if I, I'm pretty sure if I felt like him for one day, I would need a lot of Percocet. And uh, I don't, I don't think, you know, he's just a tough guy, um, and he's a guy you want on your team. And I have, I have no problem with Jordan. The guy I have an issue with, and again, I would sign up for the contract, and I think he's solid. But the guy that drives me crazy is Mark Stahl. Uh, you know, he, he's a guy that I, I think his, his, obviously he suffered some bad injuries, and it's probably the reason why his a hockey growth kind of leveled off, but you know he's a guy that makes some weak plays along the boards. Uh, he makes some very questionable decisions, uh, but again, he, he does a lot of you know he does some good things, and, and I understand why he's on the team, and you know he can be physical. But uh, if you're going to ask me, out of those three, who's the one guy that I would have a, a less of an issue with parting with? It would be Mark Stoll over uh, over Andrew Hardy for sure. 
when you look at Boyle and, and Strawman now uh, joining Callahan with the Lightning, and, and people talk about, well, hey, you know, if they had signed Boyle and Strawman uh, in the off season, maybe they'd switch places and they'd be in the final again. And it's tough to say that those two would have made the difference and, and been the difference makers in the Eastern Conference Finals, or that the Rangers would have even gotten to that spot if they were in the lineup. But for me, you know, I always crushed Boyle. I crushed Strawman a lot last year. Thought that he should have been out of the lineup a lot of times for Rafael Diaz, and he played that way. And he never really realized his potential while he was a Ranger. And now to see him and what he's become and what he's doing with the Lightning is is sort of mind-blowing because I didn't think Anton Schrauman was that guy. The Rangers obviously didn't because they didn't even offer him a deal last summer. And, uh, you know, they, they bring in Dan Boyle to replace him and they give Girardi and Stahl the money that uh, the Lightning decide to give Strawman uh, even a little less there. But when you look back at those moves, you know, I, I remember us talking about Puglia leaving and Boyle leaving and Strawman leaving. And now in hindsight, to look back, um, do you think, you know, the Rangers are, 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 are you know, are you with the group, I guess I should say, that thinks that they would have changed the, the course of the Eastern Conference Finals? No, I don't think. I, I would have easily had uh, not Pouliot. I mean, I, I, I was not a Benoit Pouliot fan. Um, but, you know, I, I, okay, I would have had no issue if they, took, if they signed Brian Boyle back. And I think they wanted to. I think he even took less money to go play in Tampa. Uh, obviously, it's panned out for him. Um, but uh, Strawman, I, I, again, I, I would have liked him back. I wasn't crying when he left either. Um, but I don't think either one of those guys would have made a difference or in the outcome of the series. Um, hey, look, a, a lot of people, I don't want to say we're wrong about Strawman, but all have the same opinion. I mean, he after he left Columbus, he couldn't get a job. I mean, the, the Devils had him in the training camp, and he didn't even make the roster out of the, out of the training camp. And then the Rangers brought him in. So it's not like wow, the Rangers really screwed up here on Strawman. A, a lot of people had that opinion. And he got better with John Tortorella. He got better with, uh, you know, Elaine Vigneault. Um, you know, and he was trying to get a big contract, and he did. And good for him, and it's worked out. Um, but I, I don't think the Rangers were wrong. And, then, you know, maybe they made the wrong decision, but their thinking uh, was right. And uh, unfortunately, it hasn't panned out for them, and it's panned out for him. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, because you work in sports radio and you have to hear callers and uh, crazy people every day bring up their ideas. And, the, you know, a lot of people talk about why don't the Rangers have, you know, this star like a Crosby, Malkin, Ovechkin, Taves, Kane, any of these guys. And, you know, Nash is the closest thing they have to that and Lundqvist, obviously, in goal. But uh, Nash, you know, he scored 42 goals, a career high. Um, but he's not the guy that can really take over a game. I thought he would be when he came here, and he looked like he would be, you know, 10 years ago in his in his early days with the Blue Jackets. But he's a different player than, than these other guys are, than, than Stamkos, than Ovechkin, than Malkin, than Crosby. And I think what people forget is, you know, the reason the Blackhawks are in this situation they're in, the reason they have Kane and Taves, and obviously they've made um, unbelievable decisions around them with, uh, you know, bringing in guys like Hosa and bringing in the complimentary pieces to make them a, a Stanley Cup contender every season. But to get guys like that, you have to suck and, and suck for a very long time and then get lucky in the draft. And I think people forget, you know, the Blackhawks were a bad team for decades, just like the Penguins were after Lemieux and Yager left, just like the Capitals were before they got Ovechkin, just like the Lightning were, uh, you know, after the LeCavier and St. Louis and Boyle and Richards era ended. So it seems like people forget that, well, yeah, the Rangers could get or, or could try to get these players through the draft and get the number one overall pick or come close to it but it's going to take a few bad years and it's sometimes a lot of bad years for them to get that so I think fans need to be grateful for the situation the Rangers are in especially where they were 15 years ago when they couldn't even get in the playoffs yeah I mean you're not wrong I mean and 
the Rangers did have that bad time, and that was a long time. That was a long enough time ago where the guys they would have drafted would have been older players at this point. Um, you know, the one chance they had was uh, I think it was 2003, and they drafted Hugh Jessamine. And if you look at some of the picks behind them, guys that they missed out on, you know, the, maybe it could have been the difference makers. So that was a big swing and a miss. But uh, no, I agree with you. And, some, and obviously, a lot of the draft picks have worked. I mean, Haglin. Uh, you can go back to Callahan, who's turned into an okay player. Uh, obviously, Bunquist goes without saying. Um, they drafted, uh, you know, they just were fast and, uh, you know, signing Matthew Garillo, who, who was undrafted. So the, the Rangers have done a good job of finding, but Derek Stepan was a second round pick. I mean, the list goes on. And, uh, you know, they've kind of made up for it by acquiring four first round picks, like Ryan McDonough. Um, you know, it, They've done a good job with their youth, and I think the big problem with the Rangers, uh, as far as talent level, is that they have a lot of, uh, and it started with guys like Dubinsky and Callahan, is they have a lot of these very good young players, uh, you know, Stepan, uh, Haglin, Fast, uh, and players like that, and they look at these players uh, a lot higher than what they actually are. I mean, Carl Haglin's a good player. Uh, but if you have 12 Carl Haglins, you're not going to win a Stanley Cup. Um, you know, Derek Stepan is a good second-line player, you know, but he's not Steven Stamkos. He's, he's, he's not Sidney Crosby. And unfortunately, and it works, but it, it's, he's not that take-over-a-game type player. You know, he, he's, he's not Sidney Crosby. You know, he's Derek Stepan. He's a second-line guy. You know, he'll score some big goals, but he's, he's not going to score 112 points in a season. You know, if you're going to be lucky to get 65 points. And the Rangers have a lot of players like that. Um, I don't want to call that lack of talent, but it's just they have a lot of these B-level players that they put in A-level situations, and, you know, that could be a reason why uh, they're not getting over that hump. I agree, and I feel like we always have agreed on that point in the sense that they, you know, overvalue some of their players, and uh, especially the way they they handle, you know, the line combinations in the conference finals or the power play opportunities, where it seemed like the what what should be unit two was always out there in the unit one spot to start him, and then you'd get Nash and Yandel out there with thirty seconds left in the power play, and Stepan and 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 you know even Girardi or St. Louis eating up the first you know seventy five percent of that power play. But uh, another big topic this off season is Camp Talbot and the second the season ended everyone wanted to talk about what he could be um you know exchanged for or, or what they could acquire for him in a trade um because it doesn't make sense to have a starting goalie on the bench all the time if if you got Henrik Lundqvist starting and uh this news that you know Skabsky is going to be out for a, a good portion of the beginning of next season uh with surgery maybe it makes the Rangers decide that you know they'll keep Talba for another year and I, I you know I, I think if they can move him they should it's probably only going to get them draft picks in return which you know will help the future it's not going to help them get over the hump that they need to, but um, to keep Talbot around, you know, his stock right now will never be higher than it is right now after the run he went on when Lundqvist was out, so what do you think happens with Cam Talbot this summer? I, I think they look to move him, but I think you're right. I mean, I don't think you're looking at anything more than a second or a third round pick, um, and maybe for that level, maybe that return, um, they decide to keep him, but no, I agree with you, his stock is high, you know, but, but it's like you know, I don't want to say you can just find a goaltender because you, you need. But I mean, you look at the goaltenders that are in the Cup Finals. You know, Corey Crawford. You know, Ben Bishop. You know, Frederick Anderson, who was playing with the Ducks in the Western Conference Final. 
it's almost like you don't need a star goalie. You can almost find somebody. So I don't know how the opposing teams in the league look at Cam Talbot. You know, they look at oh, this is the guy we have to have because he's gonna he's gonna eventually win us a championship. Or if they say, oh, we could just find somebody in the draft, or you know, find somebody that's you know playing in uh, in the juniors, uh, you know. So I just don't know what the value, despite him being a good goaltender and us seeing him as having you know a lot of upside and can start in the league. I'm not sure how the rest of the team view him as. Um, you know, so that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Well, we have uh, all of the rest of June ahead of us, July, August, September, before we get back in the mix and do the Frequent Rangers podcast, and that seems like a long, long ways away, especially when you come um, you know, one game or one win or two goals away from going back to the Stealing Cup final. And I know it's, uh, it's devastating for everyone, especially for you, because the time and energy you invest into the season. And at least for you, you get to turn right around on Saturday and, and possibly see the first Triple Crown winner of your lifetime, of our lifetime. No, it's... it's- it's it's wild, man. I'm at, uh, um, no, I look. I, this is uh, a lot of fun, and it's a good time. Uh, hopefully, next season we're talking about the Rangers getting to the Stanley Cup final and winning the freaking thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, is American Farrell gonna gonna take you home on Saturday? I know you're always tuned into the horse racing. We did the Derby preview. Um, the Derby to me was was a letdown because I you know, bet on pretty much every horse except for American Pharaoh, so it didn't turn out well for me, but what's your predictions here for Saturday at Belmont? Um, look, I'm not going to bet the, I, look, I, I'm not going to bet the race uh, in the sense that I'm not going to bet the winner and whatever because I want to root for American Pharaoh. Um, I'm going to bet multi-race bets, you know, pick threes, pick fives, pick sixes, I'm obviously going to throw him a couple horses in there. But as far as that race, I'm going to lay off the race because I want to be an American Pharaoh fan. Um, but i got to be honest with you, and it's not an anti-American Pharaoh thing. History doesn't uh, indicate that he's going to be an easy winner. I think the odds are very unfair. Uh, three to five odds, I mean, that's way too short. I mean, I'd give him six to five, and that's almost a bettable wage on him. At six to five, you can actually make a little money, but at three to five, at 60 cents in the dollar, and he's going to be bet down probably the two to five or one to five. Uh, very unfair for the player uh, if you want to get him involved. So uh, smart bet, uh, bet the field. But uh, as far as your your emotion and your heart and what you're rooting for, uh, obviously root for American Pharaoh because it's it's a it'd be a great thing. And uh, I have no problem. I, I did another uh, interview this morning with somebody who disagreed with me, uh, who took the approach of the California Chrome owner that it's unfair to have these new guys in there, these new shooters as they call them. Uh, I have no problem with it because the reason the Triple Crown is hard to do is exactly that. It's hard to do. It's it's hard to beat, you know, three sets of fresh horses uh, when you're running three times in five weeks, especially when the third time is a mile and a half. So all you can hope for is that when they turn home on Saturday uh, that he's on or close to the lead and you're going to get 35 to 40 seconds of uh, heart, uh, you know, of, of a lot of emotion and, you know, hopefully uh, when they get to the finish line, he pokes ahead in front, and uh, we finally crown a great horse because we've seen a lot of very good horses. Smarty Jones, very good horse. California Chrome, good horse. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, real quiet, and who should have won. Uh, he lost by a nose. Very good horse. It's time to see a great horse. And I don't know if he's a great horse, but we're going to find out, and, uh, you know, we're going to see what he has in tank that last quarter of a mile because, 
had some things get interesting if he has the lead or is close to the lead. All right, Monzo, thanks for coming on. Wrapping up the season, a uh, disappointing end to what was until then a, a great and memorable season. Uh, one of the best seasons uh, of watching Rangers hockey, uh, especially the way they gave you a chance to win every single night. Uh, we'll talk again this off season and uh, as we get around free agency and see what moves they make. But, uh, you know, good luck on Saturday with your uh, – Pick threes, pick fours, and all, all your picks, and uh, hopefully American Farrell wins the Triple Crown. You bet, man. I'll see you soon.